Good morning. morning. We continue our series in the letter to the Ephesians. What happens when you get a new piece of equipment? Some equipment is simple to use. A hammer, a screwdriver. Now, I have to to be equal time. How about a spatula? (laughs) Now, these all look like simple tools, and yet... When I first learned how to use a hammer with my dad's tutelage, I used to grip it way up here and wonder why it took me so long to drive a nail into a simple board. And he said, son, you got to grip it at the back. You need the leverage to to move it forward. Sometimes I I had a roommate in college who didn't quite know how to use tools either, so he didn't own a, a hammer. He owned a screwdriver, a big screwdriver. So I caught him one day taking the screwdriver and using it like a hammer, whacking the nail, trying to get this little brad into the wall to hang a picture. And I said, you you need a hammer, brother, not a screwdriver. But then sometimes you receive a tool that you just can't instinctively use. And so I went into my toolbox. You've never seen this before. I looked online and it turns out they call this a vintage multimeter. Uh, this is my Simpson 260 that I used as a beginning auto mechanic over 40 years ago. And I desperately needed this to check out short circuits, to test Sensors within a car, even back then there were sensors. I needed to use this machine to find open circuits there in the automotive area. And this thing, as I learned how to use it, and I I had to kind of be trained because all these dials, all these things, all this very delicate needle in the middle of all of this, You could easily put it on the wrong thing, on the wrong setting, and fry this like crazy. Now, the only thing that was nice about this one is it had a fuse that, if I did something wrong, it would blow the fuse. I've blown a few fuses on this, both in this meter and in my life. It's amazing how you need different tools in life. Now, all of us have been given a tool. And if I had started off the message with this thought, I would have watched the guilt level just go up in our congregation. Let's not go there today. The tool is prayer. We've all been given a tool called prayer. And for some of you, you say, oh, that's an easy tool. But what I have learned over the years, prayer is hard often. Amen? Amen. It's easy to neglect it. It's easy to go past it and and not utilize the tool because I think I can carry this myself. I don't need God to do this for me because I'm a big boy. And God says, no, you need to use this tool. But I'm guessing if I were to see a show of hands, do not do this today. How many of you feel like 
you have been trained over the past in how to pray effectively. And I would imagine most of you, if you were honest with me and with one another would say, I really feel ill-trained, ill-equipped. I don't know how to utilize this tool in my life. Because prayer is more than just a basic tool. A, our prayer life has a multitude of possibilities if I would learn how to use it effectively. Amen. That's right. But instead, when we hear the word prayer, most of us go into this guilt funk to say, I should be doing this more and more. I, I need to do this more and more, but I feel like I don't know what to do. Amen? Well, today, we're going to learn some basics about prayer. And we're going to learn how to pray from the Apostle Paul himself. And I think as you leave here this morning, here's my goal, is that you leave here saying, I can do that. Here are some ways that I can pray specifically for myself and for others that I know. And these are prayers that will be God-honoring as we look at the model that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 1. So turn to Ephesians 1, page 1241 there in the Pew Bible. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul is teaching believers and us who we are in Christ. Paul's great desire is that they might appreciate their glorious privileges in Christ, that they learn how to utilize those privileges, those riches, and also realize the tremendous power which is required and available to them. That's what he wants to do. The last two Sundays, we looked at verses 1 through 14, and we looked at the background of the passage. We also looked at Paul praising God for these planned spiritual blessings in our life. And we get to verse 15 this morning, and we're going to see Paul's purposeful prayer. And what I want you to know, which makes this passage somewhat difficult is starting at verse 15, going through verse 23. See how long that is? Again, Paul writes that in one sentence in the Greek. And so you try to analyze and pull this apart and you say, Paul, take a breath. Paul, the English teachers are saying this is a run-on sentence. Cut it out. You're going to find out in the book of Ephesians, he does this over and over again. And so starting, let's go in verses 15 and 16. Paul says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now he starts off in verse 15, for this reason, 
For what reason? Ye have to go back then in the passage. He has said to us, the believer's acquisition of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. For this reason is the basis of Paul's thankfulness. He gives thanks for them. And what is he thankful for? Number one, their faith in Jesus Christ. And that speaks of this vertical relationship between us and God. Vertical. But secondly, he also says, I, I thank God for you because of your love for other believers. That is the horizontal relationship between each one of you. And Paul says, I see this one growing. And he says, guess what? I see this one growing. And he's thanking God for what he's doing. But note, their love was demonstrated towards, now look in the text, verse 15, all saints. Oh, I hear a laughter, that's right. It wasn't just the favorite ones. It wasn't just the ones that were just like them. There was a love between believers in Christ, between each of them and even some of them that were not so lovable. There are a few of you on occasions that are hard to love. Amen. Wow, there's even an amen to that. Isn't that true? And sometimes I have heard it told me by a confidential person that sometimes I'm hard to love. Amen. Yes. <laughs> My wife would agree with that as well, too. They were growing in this relationship with God. Their faith was increasing. But in this particular church, there was love for all. Not just a few. Not just the favorites. The question that I think you must ask yourself sitting here this morning, you must evaluate your own life. Could that be said of you, that you love all the saints? Because a proper growing love relationship with God should lead to a proper, growing, loving relationship with other Christians. And if you say you love God, but you don't love fellow believers, I'll tell you right now, something is wrong with the vertical. And don't fake yourself out. Don't say, well, that person didn't. No. Does God have reasons not to love us? Every day. But he chooses to. He chooses to show us his grace and mercy and kindness and love every day. No matter what, how stinky we are. He wants us to model that to others. Do they deserve it? No but we don't deserve it either. So evaluate your own life. 
That made Paul thank God for them. And in verse 16, he talks about he doesn't cease to give thanks for them. Remembering you in my prayers. Thanksgiving and prayer, this combination. Thanksgiving for past progress and prayer for future progress. Paul is so thankful for the progress they have made in Christ. I don't think you fully understand the weight of what it means to be a pastor and how much you are on my heart every day. And there are some of you I thank God for the way I'm watching you grow and change and mature. And there are some of you I pray, God, do a work in their life. Do it in a way that will cause them to grow and to be more like Christ. Well, let's look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians found in verses 17 to 19. He lets us in on what he prays. He remembers you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. That's his prayer. Now, before we look at the prayer, it talks about this enlightenment, that the spirit of wisdom would have the eyes of your heart enlightened. This process of enlightenment, there's two facts you need to know before we look at all in the prayer. Number one, this enlightenment comes from the Holy Spirit. It could only come from him. Because our natural mind cannot understand the things of God. I, I love someone who is reading the scriptures, who is lost as all get out, and they'll read these words and they'll say, what do they mean? Or they'll say, oh, I think I understand this, and I know they don't. The natural mind cannot understand the things of God. And the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us. He reveals it from the word of God to our understanding. And then he gives us, now think about it, he gives us wisdom and understanding in learning how to apply this to my life. As well as he gives me the power to live it out. That's enlightenment from the Holy Spirit. But this enlightenment process, the second fact is, it's enlightenment to the hearts of believers. This, the eyes of our heart. This is our inner person. This is our emotions, our mind, our will. And see, some of you think, well, 
The reason that you understand the scriptures is because how intelligent you are. Let me tell you right now, intelligence has nothing to do with understanding spiritual truth. And I don't care what your IQ is, it is the eyes of your heart spiritually that will understand the Bible and the scriptures. And if God wants me to understand and, under, and apply and learn and use, my heart must be opened by the Spirit of God himself. It's not an automatic process. There are times I work on a passage for a message and, and Barb will say, well, how's it coming? And I'll say, not good. She often asks me on Saturday night, how's it coming together? A few times I have said it's not. And I have had to sit and wait for God to open a text to me in such a way that I understand it. Because if I don't understand it, I can't give you anything. Just words. So the Spirit of God enlightens my heart to receive spiritual truth. That's the process of enlightenment. Now, what are the four requests he makes in his prayer for enlightenment? And again, as I give you these four, they will become, I think, your training points for this morning. Because these are things all of us can pray. Number one, verse 17, to know God intimately. To know God intimately. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The goal is, is for us to know God personally. And we've said that in our discipleship pathway. But can I also tell you, we need not stop there. He wants us to know God intimately. Many of you are, are married. And you stood before God in a group of witnesses or a justice of the peace, and you said, I do. And how many of you six months said, I had no clue? That's not a joke. Is that not you looked at your mate and went, I had no idea they were like that. Now, some of those words were positive. And some of their words, they're, they're on their best behavior, wore off after those six months. And you say, man, they're, they're, they're a sinner. Well, here's the truth. You all married sinners, amen? amen? And you learn and you spend time over decades saying, but this sinner loves me. And I learn things about my mate that it takes time and patience. It's not good enough to only know God as Savior. That's saving faith. We must get to know him as father, as guide, as friend. 
as the lover of our souls, as our protectors, and the list can go on and on. Because the better we know God, the more satisfying our spiritual lives will be. It's true for any relationship. The deeper you get to know them, the more enriched the relationship is. And some of you kind of are at the surface saying, I'm I'm getting to heaven, yes. But get to know him. Get to know him intimately. And we must grow in our knowledge of God. It's just not to memorize the scriptures and say, I have all these facts under my belt. It's to get to know the author of scripture. So when you pray, can you pray for yourself and for others? God, would you help me know you better? Would you help my mate know you better? Would you help my children know you better? Can you pray that? Will God be pleased with that prayer? Yes. If I were to ask you how many of you pray that now, I know the answer, so don't say a thing. The second way he prays is found in verse 18. Have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, number one, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Number two, know God's calling. Know God's calling. And I say that is a past truth we grow into. Now, why do I say past? Because our present hope is sourced in our past calling. The calling that we have in Christ assures us of a glorious future and hope in in biblical terms is the assurance for the future. And what do we help hope for most of all? The return of our blessed Savior. Amen? Amen? We want him now. And now, do we know he's coming back? Yes. So we have hope in that, that someday he will come back for me, for you, for the bride of Christ. The fact that one day he will come back and we will see him should motivate us to live today for him because he could come back today. He could come back this next week. I know my wife is coming back from Tennessee sometime. It keeps getting moved and changed and people, is she back? No, she's not home yet. But I'll tell you right now, I am living as if she could arrive while I'm in church this morning. (laughs) What do I mean by that? You women would understand this. There are no dishes in the sink. (laughs) My clothes are picked up. I vacuumed recently. I do all the vacuuming in our house, so don't, don't be impressed with that. 
No, I did not make, I'm letting it air out. <laughs> but she could walk in while I am here and I would not feel ashamed of what I left her. Matter of fact, there were some projects she doesn't even know that I got done while she was gone. So when she, what'd you do while I was gone? I worked like a dog. <laughs> and that's the truth. I did. Because I want to please her when she comes home. And do we not want to do that for our Savior? Or we just say, well, this week I can let things slide spiritually because I don't think he's coming back this week. I think you understand the point. Know God's calling. Thirdly, know God's riches. Verse 18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Know God's riches. And notice this phrase in the text at verse 18. Paul is not saying, notice our inheritance in Christ. It's not what the text says. What the text says is, would you please notice his inheritance in us? This is an amazing truth. God sees us as part of his great wealth. These are my sons, my fellow heirs with Christ. This is my wealth, God says. And I am amazed. We are required to live in the future. Our lives are to be controlled by what we will be when Christ returns, not in the here and now. I mean, that's where I have to live, but I live with the future in mind. Fourthly, verse 19, to know God's power. To know God's power. Verse 19, and what? is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Simple question. Do we need God's power now? Yes. Are we weak and frail? Yes. We try to do things on our own strength spiritually and we fail. But secondly, we are under attack. We cannot defeat spiritual foes with human strength. Amen? Amen. Then why do we try? In your message overflow, a number of places in the book of Ephesians, Paul stacks up these pyramids. This is my word for it. And notice in verse 19, the pyramid of power. It is his power. It is the greatness of his power. It is unbelievable. And then he says, no, it's the immeasurable greatness of his power. That means, can I measure it? No. It goes off the chart. But then he stacks a few more words. 
It's the immeasurable greatness of his power towards me and you. So he has all this power, unmeasurable power, awesome power, and guess where it's focused? Right here. Right there. Right there. And so when you are feeling like, I can't do this, no, God's power always can. But notice also in that verse, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us? Those next two words unlock the passage. Who believe? See, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins, you do not have spiritual insight. You don't have the eyes of your heart enlightened. God's power is not directed towards you. You have no calling, no hope. Only those who believe. So the question you have to ask yourself this morning is, do I believe? Have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my one and only Savior from sin. If you do not believe, there is no power available for you. There is no hope for you. There is no riches for you. There is no intimacy with God for you. And as Paul speaks of power, he gives in verses 20 to 23 evidences of God's power in Christ. Three manifestations as seen in Christ. Let me look at verses 20 to 23 with you. According to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of of the, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Three manifestations to fill in the blanks there in your outline, past. That power was manifested in Christ's resurrection and ascension. God's power placed Jesus in the highest place of honor in the universe. God's own right hand. Secondly, we will see his power manifested in the future in Christ's headship over creation. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. One day, God's power will make Jesus Christ head over all creation. One day, it says, every knee will bow. Now, do we see that yet? 
No. One day we will. But thirdly, and this is in the present time, we see God's power manifested in Christ's headship over the church. His headship over the church. He gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells all in all. God's power made Jesus head over the church. It demonstrates God's care for the church. And you wonder, how close is the relationship between you and Christ? This passage says there's a living connection. You're his body. He's the head. They're vitally, organically connected. So as you pray for yourself, as you pray for others, can you pray, God, I want to know you more intimately. I want those around me to know you more intimately. Secondly, God, I need to know more about what is my calling. You know, the church is called the called out ones. Thirdly, what are my riches? Help me understand the, the depth that I have in Christ. And fourthly, God, we need to know your power. We need to know how you're working in each of our lives and how you're changing us from the inside out. So what does this mean for each of us? A few thoughts. Number one, we need to pray for ourselves and others that may all might comprehend in a better way the significance and magnitude of our spiritual blessings in Christ. Amen? Amen? We need not allow the enemy to guilt us into silence. Yes. We need to pray. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is within us to enlighten our hearts. The question is, what are you doing with that spiritual insight? Oh, oh, that's nice, Pastor. That, that was just great and beautiful, and you go home and you forget what was just said. I urge you to put it into practice. Thirdly, are you experiencing a power shortage in your life? Often, it is due to being plugged into the wrong power source. See, we, we've had a new floor put down, and so we've unplugged lamps everywhere, and, and so I plugged lamps back in and turned on the light, and the lamp didn't work. And I went, what's wrong with this bulb? And I replaced the bulb, and it made no difference. I couldn't under... Well, I forgot it was a switched circuit. There was a switch on the wall that turned off and on that power source. And when I put it in the right plug, 
the light worked. Simple. But how many of you are plugged into the wrong power source? You are plugged into your self-centered life. And it's time, even this morning, to unplug and to plug into God's power source. Okay? Fourthly, you need to put feet to this. I think you need to practice the training you have received this morning. So I'm going to challenge you to come at 4 o'clock today. I'm going to challenge you to come to 4 o'clock today for about an hour. And would you join other believers here praying for each other? Praying these truths for ourselves and for others in corporate prayer for this congregation. I challenge you. There's plenty of time to make it to Melba's after you leave here. That's why I said that this morning. See, all of us need greater spiritual enlightenment to know God better. And here's a truth that I have learned over the years. The Holy Spirit will not give us greater insight until we already put into practice what we already know. I'm challenging you to put into practice today what you've learned, and for some of you, what you already know. And if you wished, if you have other things that are happening today, there's no guilt. Do what's on your schedule. But football season's over. It's a nice day out. There's no snow to shovel. We'll meet at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary. It's not programmed. But it is us reaching out to God to know him better. Let's pray.